And I think that overall has been the biggest blessing is that I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with me. Yes. And so I just encourage people who are looking to find their legacy, find yourself first, challenge yourself to be curious and find yourself. When you do, you're never going to want to let yourself go. What is up, fellow Legacy Ninja? One thing to ask yourself, are you speaking your truth? Are you showing up and speaking the truth of who you are? Are you sharing everything about yourself? The good, the bad, everything that makes you, you. Because who you are is meant to impact the world. You're meant to impact somebody else's life. But it comes down to, are you speaking your truth? Are you showing up, playing big, and speaking to the world of who you are? On this episode, Patrick had the pleasure of having a great conversation with Sparkle Lindsay. Her journey, what she has gone through to where she's at now, has led her to the point of helping others shine bright, bring sunshine to the lives of others around them. But it wasn't always that way. Sparkle shared her journey of what she went through, different challenges and tribulations that showed up in her life as challenges but ultimately it has led her to where she's at. Patrick had the pleasure of speaking to Sparkle on the power of finding yourself, finding outlets for you as an individual, embracing the emotions, and walking with others during the journey, that being your own journey and the journey of others. In the show notes we do have a link Sparkle had shared about the book she had written. It's a beautiful title when you think about it, but the book is Being a Better Me for Me. Now think about that. What would life look like if you became a better version of yourself for yourself? So after the episode, hopefully you take the time as a fellow Legacy Ninja to start extracting and seeing if you're speaking your truth to impact the lives of others. By showing up and speaking your truth to who you are, you give permission to others to show up and play big. Enjoy the episode, and we'll catch you later. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Legacy Digging with Two Native Sons. Today, we actually have one Native son, one Native daughter, and even if you were not, we are honorary today. So we're so excited. And so with us today, we have Sparkle, Lindsay. Sparkle, thank you so much for being here. Uh, Thanks for having me, Patrick. And yes, I am Native daughter, definitely. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. So... Let's just get right into this. Why don't you tell uh, the Legacy Ninjas who are listening who you are and what you do? Well, you know, I am a recovery coach uh, for alcohol and addiction. I'm also a motivational keynote speaker and an author. I just now am an author. So I like to say <laughs> that. I just like to say that, right? Yeah. <laughs> I was just going to ask you, does it feel different from the first time we met when it was like days away from being able to say that to now being able to say it? Oh my gosh. I mean, I think when it rolled out on the 1st of June, I, uh, God, I had like this shooting excitement that happened, uh, from within. 
And then the fact that I was hearing people say, I'm getting it. And then like, oh my gosh, people are buying my book, you know? And then people actually taking pictures of themselves, uh, ordering the book and buying the book, and then finally receiving the book um, has just been a huge blessing. And I just feel so much love from so many people locally, from out of state. And uh, it's just a wonderful feeling, you know, and the fact that people actually enjoy reading it and they're like, wow, this really is a pocketbook that I can just take with me. So it's been really, really good. Uh, I never thought I'd write a book. I didn't even think I was going to be alive at mm. this point. Uh, with me dealing with alcohol and addiction and getting across the finish line for another year, you know, two years of sobriety, May 4th of 2021, I have just been like, wow. You know, the things that happen when we have clarity and the things that happen when we're actually able to just say, I'm going to write a book today. I don't I- <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how else to put it, you know? <laughs> oh my gosh, man, that's so inspiring. And I'm so glad for our connection and congratulations on two years. Congratulations on the book. You know, you definitely live up to your name, Sparkle, right? And in, in the interactions that we're having, the connections and things like that. So walk us through, because I know your story is incredible and I can't wait for uh, other people to kind of hear this and, and things like that. So kind of walk us through a little bit about who you are, right? And maybe who you might have been at some point. And then what does that lead to in terms of what you're building for your legacy? You know, uh, I love the way we use legacy. Um, my father, he asked me that same question um, as I was using, what is your legacy? Sparkle, mm. what what are you doing? You know, and I'm sitting there thinking in my head, well, right now I'm getting high. So I don't know, dad, but I'll think about it later. Okay. You know, <laughs> you know, I lived a life. I have uh, three brothers and a sister. I am the oldest of five. And I lived a life that, you know, we didn't want for a whole lot. My dad always lived with the terms. I am rich in love, not in money. Mm-hmm. And uh, we just, we held on to one another. We talked around the table. We discussed when things were bothering us. But we also, um, you know, all of us have our degrees. All of us were athletes. We all got full ride scholarships to play ball. And uh, I was the oldest, the person who, you know, charged forward to show my siblings that this could happen. You know, I was also the first in my family to receive my degree. So a lot of different accolades and things that I had, but a lot of things that I noticed a lot of people looked up for me for. And at one point it's like, It was embedded in me to be that person to always be looked up to, you know, and I kind of took that role on being the big sister, being my dad's right hand man. I took it all on, you know, no matter what it was and I was going to fix it or we were going to make it happen no matter what I was going to have the solution. Okay, so (laughs) that was me. You know, so that always, was the oldest sibling always has that responsibility. It's almost they become either mom or dad number two in the house. Exactly. They become that one that's just, you know, a lot of people have considered me the calm before the store or the mm-hmm. calm in the storm. I now understand why now that I'm sober and now that I have gained clarity in all of the work that I've done it didn't go unnoticed and it has given me great blessings now because I can use it. I was just building all these stepping stones to be ready for the big bam. And here I am, but little did I know those stepping stones were going to be a journey like this. So ultimately (laughs) 
<laughs> I became an athlete my entire life. I played ball. I was a 12-year letter winner um, in high school, played softball, volleyball, ran track, and I played basketball on varsity. I was on like speech and debate. Uh, I did everything. Became I was prom queen. I mean, there wasn't anything I didn't do. So I knew that I had a promising future and I was really excited for it. And I had to pick which sport I wanted to go in. I mean, and, you know, that's a blessing to be able to pick a pick a school and pick what you want to do. And if you want to go in academics or you want to go in vocal or do you just want to be an athlete, you know, those are all huge, huge things that I possess. And I was really excited to be able to choose basketball. So I chose basketball, but I could not pass a test for the life of me. And I ended up having to go to a junior college, Otero Junior College. Little did I know I was getting kind of sick uh, during those years. I didn't realize it, but something was going on in my body. I was I was getting sick. I like got shingles. I was talking to my dad about this the other day. I got shingles at 18. Oh, wow. Uh, shingles usually is when people are like 60. So um, something was brewing in my body. And then as I got going, just little things like my eyes started drooping, just stuff like that started happening during my college career. And uh, before you know it, the big bang happened right in the middle of my college season. Um, I went to work out, my eye was still drooping. And within that week, I had had a lot of things attacking my muscles. And I went from 140 to 107 in a week and a half. And they had no clue why I was sick. Yeah. It was probably one of the most scariest feelings in my life. I was unable to walk and unable to do anything for about six to eight months. I decided to stay up at school and actually still try to make sure I get my degree. And I was unable to play. So I had the team had to travel without me. I was really just not in a good spot. And I kept fighting, fighting for my life, really doing it. I didn't drink at that point. I drank I had two Mike's Heart lemonades at the age of 20 and I got crazy. I got like really sick, Patrick. Mm -hmm. Like we're talking (laughs) like, like hangover sick. Okay. Okay. And so I never was a a big drinker. So during that, and then I got sick, obviously I didn't drink. And I was just told I'd never walk again. I'd never play ball again. I'd never walk again. And I remember that moment real quick uh, uh, because that alone is so much adversity to overcome, right? <laughs> but walk us through just kind of what does that feel like being a star athlete going through and all of these things to not be able to to travel, to, to be able to play? I know there's a team aspect of being on the sideline and injuries happen, of course, you know, and things like that. But to, to kind of have all of that, I mean, do you think that that was – maybe part of the foundational piece as to kind of what started that uh, outside of not feeling well and physically? I, I mean, honestly, when I found out I was sick finally, and then I was like, my scholarship got taken mm-hmm. away. I lost like everything in like a month to the point where I couldn't walk. I, there was nothing I could do. Wow. I was so helpless. It was a first point of being helpless. And I never cried during any of it. I, it's like I blacked out and went to fight or fight, fight or flight mode. And I literally was like, I am going to freaking walk again. No one is going to change that. But inside, I felt lonely. I felt sad. I was in pain. I didn't know what and they didn't know what was wrong with me. So 
I'm just in the unknown, just not having a clue. And I think even now, a lot of that was my trauma and it still is a trauma I work through. The unknown drives me crazy. Um, (laughs) But I have learned, I have learned to allow the universe to happen. Okay. So, but (laughs) it is definitely a work in progress because I felt, I felt angry. I felt, felt betrayed. I was never, ever mad at God or anything, you know, um, never that. I just was like, why, why me? Mm -hmm. And I knew I was like, I'm going to walk again. I don't care what they say. I told the doctor, I'm going to give you my schedule to the next time I play. And uh, sure enough, I went through a lot. Like I would get on treadmills for two minutes and everything would start attacking me. You know, it felt like full Charlie horses across the body. It was just oh. eating, eating at the muscles. It was the worst feeling. I mean, it was awful. I mean, yeah. I can't <laughs> um, imagine. Ugh, it was awful. And then losing weight and just everything. And then it was just, it was a really, really intense time for me. My family didn't know what was going on. They were worried for me and we just didn't know why. So I just... Just I, I held on. I held on to my faith and I knew that things were going to be OK. And before you know it, I started walking again. They, they diagnosed me with myasthenia gravis, mm-hmm. um, which is a muscular inflammatory condition. And uh, we were able to start getting some medicine in me to control it so that I could get back to living life again. That was good. Uh, but little did I know there was a second um, autoimmune condition brewing. And I ended up with fibromyalgia as well. So mm. at that point I was battling it, but I did, I retaught myself to walk. I played another two years of college ball. I was so excited to be able to walk again. And uh, there's like pictures of me being on prednisone and you can see my face in the moon shaped head. That's what they call it. It was so huge because you consume all this water. I looked completely different mm. from what you know, I was now, mind you at that age, I also didn't have my vitiligo. I didn't have white spots anywhere at the time. So I have completely changed within a time of age 22 till now 36. I (laughs) am a completely different person. And now I'm turning white and it's vitiligo awareness month as well this month. So I always like to give a shout out to those that are doing that and Michael Jackson, because I love me some MJ. Yes, King of Pop for sure. <laughs> you and my wife so, would automatically get along as her favorite artist of all time. Yes, um, for me, man. I grew up listening to a lot of Motown, so The Temptations. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually did a an Instagram. Actually, I did a, a reel of me actually singing "My Girl" uh, not too long oh, ago. I, to, so. I gotta go watch it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, and again, uh, thank you for sharing that. I did not know that uh, this month was the uh, Vitiligo Awareness Month. So uh, you know how fitting for us to have you on here. Yes. <laughs> um, consider us definitely advocates. You know uh, to be able to to promote that. Yes. So I want to talk about a couple of pieces here that uh, you know I was privy to kind of get in our first meeting. You were able to go back and play basketball, right? Yeah. From going from you're never going to walk again to going back to play two more years. Was there a point where that you just kind of felt unstoppable because you were able to overcome that? Or was there still some highs and lows? I mean, what is that process? I imagine it's a little bit of everything. Well, there was a process there too, where I was asked if I wanted my scholarship back. And uh, I had a conversation with my dad and I refused it. 
Um, mm-hmm. The reason why I refused it is because I didn't know, I didn't know if this was going to come back. So I've always had that thought, like, I better live my life up because I don't know if this is going, I don't know how my body's going to do, you know? So I really had to ask myself that I ended up getting using the rest of my scholarships. I had a vocal scholarship and I also had an academic scholarship that got me through the rest of school at Colorado Mesa university. So I did get my degree. I did have that choice, but I just didn't know if I was going to be able to do a full season or two seasons. I didn't know what I was going to be able to do, you know? And that was also very difficult. You know, all these things where now I got to monitor myself. I got to make sure I was like, this is getting ridiculous. You know, <laughs> why is all this work happening? I'm only 24, you know, I just right. want to go out there and play ball. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And to make all kinds of like life decisions. I mean, picking and choose where to go to school and your scholarships, picking inside. If you got to continue with the scholarship. Right. After completing the two years, WNBA. Yeah, so I didn't. So I got uh, asked to go on a few tryouts and stuff. I realized during the tryouts that for me, it was going to probably kill me. I did great. I was going to sign. And I sat there for a second and just kind of thought about it, thought about where my life is going or where it was going. And I was like, I don't think my body can withstand this. I need to just be grateful for being able to walk again. Like, what if I want kids again? And at that point I thought, you know, I was told I was able to have children. And then at another point at like 28, I was told I could not have children. So then that was another point where I was like, so now I can't have children. I have to live with these conditions for the rest of my life. And at 24 is when I jumped into corporate America for three big box companies. I was an HR manager, a remodel coordinator, a, I mean, probably everything you've ever thought of in all of those companies, but I was like the fixer all the time. (laughs) (laughs) I just, I just was always that we're going to make it happen. We're going to win it. And little did I know that that little bit or that huge amount of work that I was doing was actually hindering me a little bit too. I had the strong black woman syndrome, the strong woman (laughs) syndrome. I can do it. I'll take care of it. I will help you take care of it. I can help Mm -hmm. you fix it. I will do it for you. It's okay. I got it. You know, that stuff uh, that we feel we are just the man of the hour, but ultimately it's just me. It was me distracting myself from me by helping Mm -hmm. others. Little did I know that at 28, I was distracting myself from the pains that I had already felt, you know, the condition. And I still, mind you, I still hadn't cried. So during all of this, all of that was set aside. I'm just here to help everybody else with their stuff, you know, cause I'm the fixer, but I, I couldn't fix myself. And I didn't even realize it at that time that I needed to, you know, I was just getting accolades. People were doing great around me. I was one of the, one of the greatest trainers that, you know, came out of Kohl's and then JC Penney's one of the greatest HR managers that came out of there and then jumped into King Supers, you know, and I had accolades like no other, standing ovations for different things I did. And I started drinking really heavy around 25, but I didn't drink heavy until cocaine was introduced because I couldn't handle my alcohol. (laughs) (laughs) So when I got cocaine, I was like, this is amazing. 
I I'm it's on and cracking. I'm going to be focused, but I'm also going to be able to drink. And then I'm also still going to be able to do work and everything's going to be great. And I can stay up longer since I'm already working 14 hour days. And now I can stay up for 18 hour days and I'll be just fine. Mm, yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I know oftentimes that's kind of how it's pitched, right? Is that like, this is going to give you great energy. It just starts out with just a little bit and all that stuff, you know? So, I mean, Walk us through this journey of this next step, because I think that there are people out there who are maybe going through this. Uh, you know, I, I, I've been on the phone with uh, my friend while he was driving our friend who is ODing right there in the car and seizing, mm-hmm. you know, and all this stuff like while while they're going through it. So what does yeah. this look like personally, you know, kind of if you wouldn't mind as as much or as little as you want to kind of tell us about how that experience was. And then now, you know, the, the aftermath, of course. So at first it turns, it's, it's like a, you're just partying, you're just having a good time. You know, that's how it was for me. It can be different for anybody, especially if you started it earlier. But for me, because I started so late, it was like, I'm just having fun. I'm single. I got my own money. I do what I want. Okay. So my ego was really there. Like my (laughs) ego was there. Like I'm the oldest of five. We do this, this, and this can't nobody stop us. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But in all reality, I still was humble, but at the same time, I was like, no, we're going to win today. Okay. So it was very intense for me, you know, Mm -hmm. just a little way too intense almost, you know? And so when I started using, I just thought it was cool. I just thought it was fun. I loved Molly. I love psychedelics. I thought everything was good, but then things just got really bad and not, not, I wouldn't per se, like say quickly, there were just little things that were starting to happen that I didn't realize were actually not good things, but I just thought they were things that I was just covering up. Right. So it started out like I was, working, I was doing okay. But then I started noticing that like, I only planned to go places that I could go that I would be able to have cocaine on me. So I'd have to have it prepared. You know what I mean? So it would be more like, we're going out to the party. Well, not until we have cocaine, because then we're going to take it with us. Or, oh, no, I'm not going to fly. I'd rather drive because if I can go to Vegas and have it on me, then we don't have to worry about the plane. Okay. So or it was, um, is alcohol going to be there? Because if it's not, I don't want to go. Mm. So it started being that, but I didn't realize it was that, you know, and the people around me were like, yeah, there's no alcohol there. Let's, let's go somewhere else. Even the people I was around, we were just like, whatever, or, oh, we're out of Coke or we're getting ready to be out of Coke. We better hurry up and call the drug dealer so that he can have it prepared for us on deck. So we don't run out because we're going to be up all night. So there was everything I did plan my life around drugs and alcohol first to make sure that it worked. Mm. But if you look at me, I'm thinking, oh, we're just having fun. We're partying. It's great. But I'm not realizing that around the clock, I'm needing it, meaning that I would be hungover from the night before. So then I'd be like, well, that's okay. The reason why we called the drug dealer late last night is so we'd have bumps in the morning to keep going. So it was, yeah, then it turned into like chasing the high. So like then I was just being high because it was a habit for me to get high. So when I didn't have it, I would get like angry or upset or want to hurry up and rush my drug dealer and figure out why he can't get it to me in time. And then I was just getting really upset about it. 
and still trying to work and trying to meet him places. And before you know it, it turned into like a whole nother job. I wasn't sleeping, but then I was still working and getting accolades at the same time. But all around, I was just in this circle, this cycle that just kept circling around and around. And I didn't know when I was going to hit the ground. It was like being in an abyss, a dark abyss. You're trying to hold on to everything and you're just falling, but you don't know when you're going to hit the ground. And there's nothing that can hold you up, but you just know you have to keep up with this feeling or you're going to hit it, you know? not knowing about money. You're not caring about any of that. The only thing you're thinking of is when am I getting my next high and can I make this work? Not, you don't even sometimes remember who I didn't remember. Sometimes people I was yelling at or screaming at or something that happened the night before. It just was a cycle and it was just, it was eating me up, swallowing me whole. It was scary. It was really scary. And I was afraid to say to my family who I'm the oldest and I'm their role model. You guys, I'm in trouble. Mm. I'm not, I'm not, I can handle this. I'm not supposed to tell them I'm in trouble. This is just me having fun. This is cool. I was in agony. It was the worst thing I ever felt. I was getting sick and everything. And then I'll never forget. I had an associate kill himself in front of me. Oh, wow. And I lost, like I lost it. I lost it, but I still never cried. And I was like, I got to keep it together. I never, ever until later, even revisited that. That trauma had me staying up. I was having nightmares. And then six months later, I get sick with lupus. Mm. So I had hit by that point from 21 to, I want to say about 32. I had been through so much. And at age 30, my fingertips started turning white. So I also started getting vitiligo, which my father and my sister have it as well. So I knew what that was. So that's four autoimmune conditions, trauma like no other, still working around the clock and using, right? And no crying, just saying, it's okay, I'll fix it. Not telling my family, I'm in trouble, You know, there were even times when I was like, okay, well, I'm moving. But in true life, I was getting evicted. (laughs) No, none of them knew that. And and some of them may not know it now. But ultimately, I literally was like fighting for my life every day and fighting for the high every day. It was agonizing. And I didn't know what I was going to do. And sure enough, I get into my job after all of this. And I'm like, they're probably going to fire me. <laughs> and I get in there and they're like, we want to promote you. $125,000 job, here you come. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, I can't do this. Like, I was literally like, I just can't do this. I got to, I'm going to have to go and I'm going to have to save my life. I got to take my life back. Mm-hmm. So I get in the car. I'm literally just, uh, I, I'm crying. I'm now, I'm not crying still, by the way, but I'm like, I just don't have a job now and I need to get high and I do have money, but this money's going to run out. And I'm like, but do I want to go to treatment? Do I not? So I said, I want to go to treatment. I called my aunt. She said, wherever you want to go, let's go, Hmm. which is a blessing because usually you don't get to just go because sometimes you don't have the insurance to just go. But because I had the insurance to go at the time, I was like, I'm going. But little did I know, I wanted to 
celebrate the fact I was going to treatment. So I decided to go up to Blackhawk with my ex-fiance at the time, and he was drinking as well. And I decided to get completely drunk and then end up in jail. So that was, you know, um, (laughs) then after I got out of jail, I went to treatment. (laughs) (laughs) So through all of that, I was still in pain. I was still having nightmares. I was still drinking to suppress whatever I could. And then I was still trying to be the strong person. And finally, I said, forget it. I got to go get help. And it was probably one of the best things I could have ever done. And I know once I got into treatment, I tried to be real sneaky, too. I tried to be sneaky, but I'm the one that said I was going. So that's, <laughs> how, are you, how are you sneaky to yourself? Like right. when, you, right. when you're the one that said you're going and you're 34 years old, right? So you. <laughs> that's funny. That's so really I finally funny. realized I was like, okay, Sparkle, you're trying to plot on how to escape from treatment. You can just leave if you. <laughs> You need to get some help. You need to stay here. You know, so I stayed and I remember I was at Parker Valley Hope in uh, Denver, Colorado, in Aurora, Colorado, Parker. I did my cup. You know, we had to do our cup and then give a, a big speech after we get ready to leave after our 30 days. I said, I will cherish <laughs> these moments. Okay. Cause I had 30 days of sobriety. So, you know, in the back though, my ex, He's got beers in the back. We're about to go camping. Okay. So <laughs> I'm really not really doing treatment that great. Right. right, right. So I'm like, you guys, I will humble this forever and, and I will stay humble. You know, just really just blowing all kinds of smoke up people's butts. You know what uh, I mean? Oscar moment, right? And in, in yeah, the best, oh, the best acting like, of your career. She, she, she's amazing, you know? And so. <laughs> <laughs> I go, I go out and, you know, my, my ex is ready and I go out and there's this little voice and, and I look over and she, are you Sparkle Lindsay? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> who are you? And she goes, oh, well, well, your aunt told me to go ahead and pick you up for your next destination. What? <laughs> <laughs> next, next des- excuse me, what? <laughs> Where? where are we going? You know? And she's mm-hmm. like, you're going to Serenity Peaks recovery in Colorado Springs. I said, oh, oh okay. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't be like, no, the hell I'm not. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so my ex is looking at me and I'm like, I got it. I... So I took off and got in this big black van, Patrick. And I'm like, my aunt is a sneaky little lady. <laughs> 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 Must run in the family, huh? <laughs> yeah, she said, uh-huh, because she does. She is uh, sneaky, but she's like 15, 20 years sober as well. Mm-hmm. So she knew that I was humbled. She knew my. She knew that I had plans. So basically, <laughs> um, I got there, and being at Serenity Peaks changed my life forever. The The therapist I had, the, the environment I was in, it changed my life forever. I hadn't cried in 13 years and I did it there. Wow. And uh, I just, I had family therapy. I had my family be able to come and talk to me and just know that I couldn't, I had to tell them I cannot be your world and I cannot be your superwoman. Those things are unrealistic and not real. And right now I can just be human and I can just be your sister 
I can just be your daughter. And please just accept me that way. Mm. Those were the hardest words I've ever had to say. But one of the most enlightening pieces to me to humble me and say, I'm doing this for me. And if I would not have changed that, I would not have a book that says being a better me for me. Um, Sorry, I get it makes me feel very humbled um, to know that I'm okay. Absolutely. I'm here. We're so proud. So proud of that. You know, I'm I'm so proud that you're here and all the things that you've gone through. Uh, You know, obviously, you know, my story and the things, right. To even get here. So. Yeah. It's a a blessing. You know, it's so surreal when you think about all of the journey, the step-by-step pieces, the ability to cry like this again. To yeah. feel again yeah. <laughs> and to, to know that it's okay, you know? Yeah. And I think that overall has been the biggest blessing is that I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with me. Yeah. And so um, I just encourage people who are looking to find their legacy, find yourself first, challenge yourself to be curious and find yourself. When you do, you're never going to want to let yourself go. You know, you're going to fall in love with yourself more and more every day. And I think that is what compelled me to write tips and tricks to help people know that we're human and we have to work through this one step at a time. No matter what addiction we have, we have to find it in ourselves to figure out where we fit for us so that we can give the overabundance of us to others. We have to be able to do that. (laughs) Absolutely. I love that. What's first and foremost, thank you for the vulnerability piece, right? Because it is hard. I, again, similarly, you know, I grew up and I was a very sensitive child. And of course, like, you know, it's a whole different lifetime ago, it feels like in a whole different culture growing up right because it was throw some dirt on it kid right uh, yeah, it was kind of the mentality yeah. that our parents had and a lot less awareness of you know uh, addictions and PTSD mental health all that stuff right so growing up in a time frame where like it, I you know if you ask a lot of people I went to school with a lot of them will basically tell you like oh yeah he probably cried all the time right mm-hmm. and again at, in being in nine years old going through a major divorce my cousin passing away, you know, like my uncle, all these different things that like all kind of relatively time, I had a lot of anger and I had a lot of despair and sorrow and all those things. And then I got made fun of for, for, for being a sensitive kid and crying. So then that does something to you. It hardens you. Right. And then you just basically do everything you can to avoid that, you know, so to have that bottled up for, we said 13 years. Yeah. It it sent me into two, I had a somatic stroke from it actually. And then I had a second one. Gosh, I'm like, I went through all of that. All I had to do was cry. Like (laughs) if you're doing that, if you're listening, if you're doing that, stop, (laughs) just cry. (laughs) <laughs> feel the emotion, you know, like, yes. um, you know, I was talking to one of my recoveries um, the other night and I made a comment that said, we work so hard to run away from the emotion mm. that we give ourselves so much 
more of a harder situation than we would if we just walked through the emotion, realize that it's temporary, not permanent, and then keep moving for the next one. So yeah. the difference is, is that we don't, we don't know how to practice working through our emotions anymore. We're told, like you said, put some dirt on it and call it a day, put an H on your chest and handle it. And ultimately that's not fair. That's not fair for us to do to ourselves and then expect that it's not going to come back and hit us some way. Right. We cannot continue to suppress our mental health. We cannot continue to suppress substance use disorder. We have got to walk through it. If we're sitting in there with a room, sitting in a room with nothing but what they call the elephant in the room and everybody's walking around it, sooner or later, the elephant's going to explode. And that's normally when it's too late and we're either in jail, we've overdosed, we've had a manic attack, and we haven't done anything to recognize that we've got to walk through it. And I went through, I, I love the practice of walking through my emotions now. Can you believe that? Um, But but sitting in it and it being uncomfortable is the gift of being comfortable with being uncomfortable and actually facing these things head on and actually saying, I did that and I can release it. I can relinquish this and I can move forward onto the next. And when you're able to do that, that's when you can dust your shoulders off and say, I'm a full complete person and I'm okay with dealing with me. But no matter what, that shadow person's always going to be there. And it's always going to take some work to continuously work through those emotions for the rest of our lives. So make it a part of you. I make it a part of me every day to check in with myself and see exactly what's going on with me, whether I'm upset, resentful, happy, sad, or just irritable. At least I know. And I can meet myself where I'm at because of that and respect it because it's okay. We're human. Yeah, one of the things that Scott and I talk a lot about in our coaching sessions is if you want to achieve balance or as close to it as possible, you have to allow yourself to experience all of the emotions, right? Because it's almost like an uneven balance scale because you've been sulking so much in anger or hurt or pride, whatever it is, right? And I think you and I talked about this uh, when we first met that, you know, there was a point in time when I thought people were too happy and, you know, it kind of like sat there and and I wanted to be in my doom and gloom and I wanted everyone else to be just as miserable as me. And we talked about it. We talked about, you know, misery, loving company. We talked about things that no longer serve a purpose for us anymore. You know, during this journey, I've had to let a lot of people go because the energy, it, it, it doesn't fit me anymore. Right. As, as you begin to move through yourself, as you begin to f- do this journey with you, you start to realize that some things do not serve a purpose anymore. Mm-hmm. And if people are around you are not moving forward like you are because they are moving forward for them, you probably don't belong there anymore. Because that means that you're probably holding them on your shoulders, which means, therefore, you're doing everything to fix everyone else but you. And so distracting yourself from yourself, disassociating from situations is what I did all the time. And I immediately now can say to any recovery, I am here to help you help yourself. 
I'm not here to do it for you. And I will walk alongside you. I will be here as a mentor, as a guide, but you, you alone are the only one that can do that for you. And no matter how many mistakes we make, mistakes are lessons, no matter how many what people call failures happen, it doesn't matter. We're supposed to do that. That's our life, but embrace it and do it for you. You know, so I think that that's one of the big portions is we want to save somebody. We want to make sure somebody understands we did it for them. No, 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 no. It's not mine to keep. I have enough to keep and enough to keep doing (laughs) to be holding someone else's stuff because that's what I used to do. I used to take on some of her stuff and his, Mm -hmm. throw it on my back and then be crawling across the finish line while people are staring at me. And then I'm mad at them when I'm the one that allowed it. And so I immediately changed from the strong woman, strong black woman, phase two, I'm a woman of many strengths. You hold yours while I hold mine and we'll walk across the finish line together. That's the only way it's going to work. Absolutely. That's where I'm at right now is being able to be empowered and step into my own power and to self-reflect every day, hold myself accountable for me and what I'm doing for me. Because if I don't, then I'm, I'm enabling everyone else. I have my hands in things I don't need to, which then create chaos for me. If I focus on the things and have the courage to change the things I can with me, then ultimately everything else will evolve the way it should around me. So I have to allow that. And it's been a practice, uh, been a huge pack practice for me, Patrick, but a blessing at the same time, yes. you know? Yeah. Yeah. We have to allow ourselves to be the prism right? We have to let the light hit us so that way we can refract that out to other people, right? And oftentimes we get in our own way, like you said, and we're blocking the light, trying to find the right angle when really we're, if we just move and get out of our own way, everything else will happen. So I love that. Blockages. Yes. Yes. And then realize when you are creating blockages along your journey, Cause that has happened. I'm like Mm -hmm. sober. I'm doing everything. I'm going to, you know, I I left the company Springs Recovery Connection just in March. And uh, here I am, I was doing everything with, with like, I had all hands on deck, right? Once again, well, corporate America, everything has been my demise. I've always put everything on me. Mm -hmm. So I noticed myself sliding right back into that trend. I had to stop it in its tracks because it, I started creating this, company into my blockage. And I started enabling the company by touching everything, no longer focused on what I needed to do. So this is sneaky because your, your stuff comes in so many different ways, the way you do things. I enabled companies. I've enabled people in my life. Mm -hmm. I've enabled myself. And finally I was like, "Mm -mm, I have to resign. This isn't my mission. And I'm enabling this. I'm not planning on doing this, being here at this this place forever. I'm moving forward. Yeah. So as soon as I hit the resignation button, I was so nervous. And they threw a party for me and said, Sparkle, this company was here for you to learn who you are so that once you get out there, you can shed more light on others who need to hear you. And mm-hmm. I was like, Perfect. And they gave, they said all the blessings in the world. We back you. As soon as I removed that 
Sparkle LLC has not stopped moving. It's been <laughs> like wild. Okay. So I'm just saying, Love it. sometimes we create our own blockages and we sit there wondering why we're stagnant when all oh, you just said it, all we got to do is just move. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's called, it's, Pivoting, right? Man, such an incredible journey. And it's just a tip, right? Of, the, of of everything, the start of everything. I'm so excited. You know, I know that you've talked about doing some global speaking. You got some stuff upcoming. We've talked about kind of uh, partnering up on doing some speaking engagements and a summit and all those things. You've got the book. Yes. We've talked about you launching a podcast. And uh, well, never- yeah, we talked about that, Patrick. Yeah. I don't have one yet, but we <laughs> 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 well, you already know that uh, if, when once you're ready to start that, that will be there to help you. So in this second portion of the podcast, this for me is kind of one of the things that initially we, we were calling it theory crafting because it was basically like a lot of the thoughts, a lot of your philosophies on things that maybe people don't know, right? So for me, uh, a big portion of my success I attribute to was basically learning a lot of and practicing a uh, law of attraction to go with my faith. Growing up, there was kind of a resistance to think that law of attraction could exist in God's will. But then finding and supporting and realizing that that is actually God's will for you to be able to pick and choose your path and to be able to create and forge your own path, you know, that it be pleasing and that you're doing his work. Right. And so for me, I I would just always assume like, Hey, if I make a decision, I got to live with the consequences. I didn't realize then that like, you know, all the skill sets that I had been taught allows me to freely choose where I want to be. And, and I almost feel like that for a lot of people, the calling, and the Bible is for people to become entrepreneurs, maybe not everyone, but for many people, right? And so for, you know, like the book of Proverbs, I feel like teaches you how to be a successful business person, <laughs> you know, and, and, and a, just a decent person in general. So as you're kind of thinking about some of the things that maybe you do as a person, maybe you might consider them quirks, or maybe your family, you know, talks about some of those things, you know, and I talk about this it's the second week in a row. So my wife is not going to be happy, but she'll go around and she'll pick up stuff with her toes. Right. And then I catch my son picking up his shirts or whatever with his toes. Right. And then bring them to his hand. So, you know, kind of some of those things, as you think about that, maybe people in general would not get an opportunity to know what are some of the things that also make up sparkle as you're kind of thinking about, you know, some of the things that you find to either be quirky or your personality and things like that. (laughs) Well, I can say that I have a lot of quirky things to me. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I, uh, I have like a ritual, you know, ever since I've been sober. So I have a little ritual. I wake up in the morning, I do my meditation and I got to make my coffee in the morning because I love coffee. Right. Mm. And then I also am like, I have to have my music on. So I know that my roommate right now, I love to sing. And so every morning when I get up, I have and my aunt as well. When I stayed with her and anybody that has ever lived with me, they know that I got to sing a song or I'm singing in the shower before Mm. I even You know what I mean? Before the day gets started, if I don't sing in the shower, then, you know, it's just not the same. The day's not the same. So I'm like, dang it. I forgot to sing the shower. So sometimes I'll be getting out of the shower and I'll be like, 
I didn't sing. I got to get back in. <laughs> so I try to give myself more than enough time because I don't want to be late <laughs> to make sure that I sing in the shower. You know, um, probably so you actually you- get back in to, to make sure that you, go, you get <laughs> yeah. your song. And okay. Okay. Is there a go-to yeah. song? A go-to song. One of the big ones I have is I love make it happen by Mariah Carey. Mm, Okay. And anything that I really feel compelled to sing, I think uh, a lot of it sometimes like, uh, you know, I don't, I talk, I don't talk a lot about like my spirit guides and stuff and the things that help me stay grounded. A lot of times the song would just come in my head or I kind of ask them to give me some light or shed their light on me just to help protect me in uh, a lot of different things. And then a song would come to me and I'll be like, I got to sing it, you know, <laughs> but I enjoy, awesome. I enjoy shower time and I enjoy it because I used to just rush, you know, I was always rushing to do something. And now I feel like being in the water, consuming it, understanding it and embracing it. I mean, how many people in the world right now wish they could have a shower. And I just, mm-hmm. I just think, those little things make me feel good. And then I can sing too in there. That's just yes. great. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you know, um, I actually started a Facebook group years ago before groups were a big thing called I Love Showers. Because for me, it was clarity. That's where I would do a lot of deep thinking. Um, that's where I would decompress. And then the symbolism of basically the water kind of washing off like the dirt of me, but also kind of like washing out the, my emotions and the heavy thoughts and things like that. So I totally understand. And I don't have a shower routine in terms of song, yeah. but uh, I, I do know that like sometimes I'm sitting there and my wife's like, the heck are you doing in there i'm like i'm thinking and she's like what could you be sitting there thinking for for like that long and i'm like you know it's just clearing out my thoughts you know yes i mean another thing that people laugh at me for i am an ice eater okay Okay. (laughs) i I consider myself an ice condesor okay so (laughs) i you you know used to be a wine thing but now it's ice and a lot of it is how most people in a, in a pancake thing. So you can always catch me at IHOP eating some pancakes no matter what time of the hour. And it, it, this is all derived from, I think, me being sober, you know, not having any alcohol now. I have all these little things that I had anxiety and I didn't realize I had anxiety. So I like, when I had anxiety, I would drink. You know, like if even if I would drink before I would go on stage to sing or before I would do any of that, because I was I also had a band before I went into treatment. But so when I finally was like, well, now what am I going to do? All of a sudden, I just I mean, I just it's like somebody who loves a cigarette. That's me and ice. Mm. And so between ice and pancakes and then singing in the shower, I'm pretty (laughs) old. (laughs) <laughs> Those are pretty weird. No, that's not weird. <laughs> and going to the movies by myself. I will say when I go to movies by myself, because popcorn's kind of like ice. Yeah. So I'm a I've... popcorn kind of sword too. Yes. So, you know, you don't then I'm good. I'm golden. You know. I had a, a, a colleague who once basically said, I wish I had a guy who would just go to the movie theater and pick up popcorn and bring it home to me. 
Yes, me too. <laughs> so great. Like, I wish I could like, door dash. Perfect boyfriend. <laughs> Can we door dash that though? If you have a boyfriend to do it, that'd be great. But if you don't, could you be like, hi, door dash? So you guys don't have the movie theater on DoorDash. Is there any possible way you could just make a detour and grab some of that popcorn? Right, right. Yeah. Well, I never understood why um, movie theaters didn't sell to-go popcorn. I don't either. Do they? Do they? They don't now, do they? No, but I need. To, uh, if you're hearing this, I should patent that idea. Yes. So, yes or pitch yeah. it. So, yeah. If, <laughs> yeah. AMC Cinemark, if you're listening, give me a call. <laughs> they could do a curbside pickup and everything. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Oh sure. man. Catnip, please. There you go. So my brothers and sisters, they do stuff like that. You know, like, you know, my sister, she loves being by herself, but she loves to cook. But she'll sing in the shower any day. Cherie Mm. will. Cherie will straight sing in the shower. We can have like competitions, you know. But my dad, it all deranged for my dad because my dad, he sings like everywhere. And he even sings when we're talking to him. And I'm like, really? You know, and then there's my mom who we talk so much to her on a regular basis, right? That like she's gotten so good at getting dressed that we don't even know she's in the shower talking to us, getting dressed. And then she's like, I'm dressed, I'm ready to go. And we're like, when did you get dressed? <laughs> So we have all these little things we do to still keep contact with each other. And it just gives us all this rejuvenated step into your power strength to start the day, no matter how. And we, uh, it's infectious for all of us that way. So we all got our little things we do. (laughs) Again, I'm privy to know some more information than most. Uh And so I'm curious, does your brother, (laughs) Philip, is he also a shower singer? Phil can't really sing. <laughs> oh, we okay. But let me tell you, we had he he loves him some Michael Frank's popsicle okay. toes. Okay. Yes. So if anybody hears that, y'all can laugh about this. Because <laughs> we were like, when he was turning 10, I'll never forget me and my sister, we decided to take him to get some video games for his birthday. And he wanted to hear his favorite song, Popsicle Toes by Michael Franks. And he sang that song so hard and so bad. <laughs> that I, we were like, okay, 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 good, good job, Phil, Phil, good job, Phil. And Cherie was like, I hope he doesn't say he wants to play it again. He said, play it again. I said, oh, no, <laughs> I'll never forget it. Perfect. So, yeah, I. I guess for fun facts, people may be trying to put the two and two together, talking about Phil or Philip Lindsay, right? And so, yeah, did you want to go ahead and confirm that's the Philip Lindsay that we're talking about, the NFL running back? Uh, Philip Lindsay, (laughs) former Denver Bronco, now a Texan. Yeah, he's my brother. And he is the oldest of the boys, but there's five of us. So he's got two big sisters and then there's two younger boys under under him. So I've got four younger siblings, uh, Cherie, Philip, Zach, and Marcus. So all four of them all have their personalities. So he's directly <laughs> in the middle, just like myself. So yeah, he's right smack dab yeah. with the two girls and two boys. <laughs> awesome. Right in the middle of that. <laughs> yeah. 
Man, I wonder if, if he listens to this episode, he's going to come back at you probably. <laughs> he probably will because he'll be like, why'd you have to talk about the popsicle toes though? Because like, you thought you were like the next Michael Franks or Michael Jackson or something. I don't know. <laughs> I think you became Philip Lindsay and you play sports. <laughs> right, right, right. Yes. Uh, and again, I mean, he's... Anybody that lives in Colorado, especially if you're in the Fort Collins area or you're a college football fan and an NFL fan, I mean, he's considered to be Colorado treasure going through everything. His story is amazing. Your story is amazing. So, I mean, just runs in the entire family. All right. So uh, this is Scott's favorite part. Unfortunately, Scott is not here today, but uh, hopefully the Legacy Ninjas will enjoy this just as much as Scott does. But this is kind of uh, normally we we attribute um, this portion to Travis Brown. Uh, he's created pod decks. Fortunately, I didn't, uh, Scott has most of the decks usually and stuff like that. And I didn't think to uh, install it on my phone in time. So we're just going to go with kind of the would you rather questions today. And these are completely drawn at random. Um, <laughs> and then what we'll do is we'll just kind of have you answer and then I will respond as well. Okay. A lot of them don't have really much context other than just kind of the question. So would you rather always say everything on your mind or never speak again? I'll say everything on my mind. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I, I talk way too much to, to ever yeah, be that, not speak again. I'd be so sad. <laughs> <laughs> would you rather be able to talk with all the animals or speak all foreign languages? Oh, I want to speak with animals. Yeah. Anything in particular? I just want to know what they're saying every time they're around us. Mm. Like I want to be able to speak to them, do things for them. Like, I think that would be so cool. Yeah. <laughs> what about you? <laughs> you know, as much as I would love to be Dr. Doolittle, <laughs> I do think that there is something cool about being able to connect with people in their language That's and in true. their culture. Um, I just love people so much. So being able to have that uh, dialogue and connect with them and to surprise people, right? Like to be an Asian guy speaking German, they're like, what? What's going on over here? But technically, if we were to take this a little further and we had superpowers, wouldn't we be able to just hear all of that? Because we would hear what everybody was saying through every language. You should put it that way next time. Right, right. (laughs) (laughs) Like I said, there's no context. So it gets really crazy in regards to thinking about that. But no, that would be a great point. Okay, so this one is pretty cool, I think. Would you rather go into the past and meet your ancestors or go into the future and meet your great-great-grandchildren? Ooh. I want to meet my great-great-grandchildren. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to see how it came to be because I ain't got no kids right now. <laughs> <laughs> You know, that's interesting because I just had a conversation this morning with a meeting and somebody basically said, I love that you know so much about your family history. True. And I was thinking like, I guess that's pretty unique because some some people really don't know a whole lot. Mm-hmm. But then I also kind of think I'm like, well, I don't know much about my great great grandfather, nor if he came to visit me, like, would I really necessarily care about things that you know, he knows nothing of because I'd be spending my whole time explaining and teaching and all the things that I'm doing now. And I feel like that would be more of a burden. I don't really have much time on top of that, you know, so I'm like, (laughs) "Hmm." you know, but then also I'm thinking like, well, it'd be kind of cool though, to be able to see the kin in my kids' grandchildren, right? So yeah, I think I I would go toward that too. 
And then I, yeah, because I think about the things that I would learn from my kid, grand, grandkids, kids. What, right. yeah. Right. What, what you said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just know in the future because, you know, like, I do know my, my ancestors. I do know a good portion of that, which would yeah. be cool to meet them. But like you said, you'd be having to like explain things and like, talk about the same things we explain now when we're teaching somebody something, but yes, think about right. it. We were being taught something by a future or something, right? Right. Cool. Yeah, exactly. So uh, interesting question for sure. So. And the last thing that we always like to kind of close with here is kind of this thankfulness or gratitude piece you know it's been a big piece uh, for my business a big piece for our podcast and our followings so whether you thank them recently or maybe haven't had a chance is there anybody off of the top of your head that you would want to thank and and basically give gratification to regardless if, if you know at some point they hear this or not you know we just know that being able to express that is really powerful so is there anybody at this point in time that you'd like to thank I would say that um, I am extremely extremely grateful for my family Um, and I say that because my family has been very patient in watching me fight to take my life back and they have probably wanted to say some things or wonder why I'm doing the things I'm doing, but they have allowed me to, to live the journey I'm living. And they've been very supportive. They've never second guessed me being sober. They've always knew I could do this mm. outer family and inner family. You know, um, everybody is on this journey with me and they are cheering me on, rooting me on and hoping for the best. And I would say my sober warriors my sober family, my sober family has become so huge and uh, they give me the gift of uh, belief and manifestation. Every day I watch somebody take their life back and every day I'm taking my life back. And I think it's become infectious and I don't know where I would be without the like-minded people who are fighting sobriety, fighting for their sobriety, just like me. And so I say to treatment centers I've been to, to uh, recovery coaching organizations I've been to and so forth. And all of my recoveries I work with who work with me as well, please keep up that fight because I, it's, it's given me all the love I could use to, to just move forward and uh, to be a better me for me, you know? And I think that's, I mean, it's just so surreal how I can watch people fight and be sober and gain clarity and have that communication. That is something I will have forever, a bond I will never, ever lose is with my sober warriors. So I just say I'm grateful for that. That's amazing. Give me chills, uh, you know, just kind of (laughs) to hear. And, And again, reliving this journey here in this short amount of time. So I can't thank you enough for that. Now for our listeners we actually call them uh, legacy ninjas and so if there's a nugget or something a piece of advice something i know you've dropped so many already but if there was something that you had to kind of target for somebody who's listening somebody and again maybe they're battling addiction maybe they're just listening to the podcast and they're going on this journey with you but you know if it came down to basically you had you know to to drop something that they take away from this episode what is some, What is a message that you would leave for our Legacy Ninjas today? I think one of the biggest messages I can say 
is that if there is something going on with you, (laughs) say it, Hmm. speak your truth. Do not hold it in. Don't be afraid. Speak what's going on with you. That is the beginning. That's the start. Speak it to yourself first so you can realize that this is really happening to me. And I really need to say something about it. The best thing in the world we can do is speak to ourselves first so that we actually know where we're going and what we want to do. You know, and I think a lot of times we are afraid to tell ourselves that something's wrong or that something's great or whatever. We're afraid to tell ourselves anything. (laughs) Well, I mean, we're usually like, "Mm, I ain't going to talk about that. You know, Mm -hmm. talk about it. Go to someone you care for and talk to them about it. You'd be surprised some of the things that take my cravings away. Most of the things that take my cravings away in any addiction is the fact that I can call someone like Patrick and be like, let me tell you what I was laughing at the other day. (laughs) And just tell them, hey, I'm craving. Can we have a conversation? Hey, I'm I'm my mental health is not feeling right. Do you know somebody that could help me? You know, just stand up and stand out for yourself. Advocate for what you want and have the courage to ask for it, because if you ask for it, I guarantee you'll get it. Um, A lot of it is we just push it away and we don't challenge ourselves to say what we really want or what we intend to have or what we're deserving of. And I think we just kind of push that to the side and we just accept whatever. Don't be that person to accept whatever. Be that person that actually says, I'm doing this for me. And I'm standing up and standing out saying, hey, I want to be sober or I need help. And once you do that, you'd be surprised. I was surprised how many sober people, how many even non-sober people came through to say, Sparkle, we're here for you. So just know you're not alone. And one of the biggest pieces is being able to stand up for yourself and say, I need it. I need the help. And people will come running and manifest what you want. Always. Belief and manifestation are the key to getting the things you want for you. And that's where the happiness from within comes in, comes in. It comes in strong. And that's when you start knowing you're becoming a better you for you. Wow. Just you're so awesome and you're so amazing. And and this is definitely (laughs) you being sparkled. This is you on the right path in your journey and you can see it, you can sense it. So guys, I hope that this has been an enjoyable experience for you as much as it has been for myself. Uh, Sparkle, I hope that you've had a great time today. It's always a pleasure, Patrick. (laughs) (laughs) So for people who are interested in being able to, connect with you to to support you where can we find your book what's the name of the book where where else can people support and connect with sparkle so um i'm on every social media outlet so you can look up sparkle Lindsay um and the light at the end of the tunnel i have uh videos that can kind of give you some motivation just kind of the way i think of things and uh, my opinion and so forth on mindfulness and awareness through your recovery through anything like that so you can always check that out also facebook check me out as sparkle Lindsay light at the end of the tunnel instagram i drop a lot of quotes i drop quotes daily um, i have a morning quote that i drop so if you're looking for that that's usually always up i also you can dm me on any of those social media aspects any of those my book that just came out being a better me for me by sparkle Lindsay. 
It is on Amazon currently, and uh, it's a wonderful, simple pocket guide. You can take it anywhere with you. It's just simple tip and tips and tricks to actually help you become a better you for you. A lot of things that can self kind of self-motivate yourself in the day. So you will see the audio version. You'll see just the paperback version and then also the Kindle version on there as we speak. Even if you don't want me to be your coach, you can still have a little bit of sunshine each day with that book. If you want more sunshine though, <laughs> I just wanted to say sunshine. If you <laughs> if you want more sunshine, then yes, please contact me and I can definitely do a good 30 minute discovery call with you. See if we're a good fit. If you feel like you are needing help right away, please call the crisis hotline center. If not, I know Patrick will have all of my information as well. But ultimately, if you are wanting to get a coach, you feel like taking your life back, you think that I'm a good fit for you, do not hesitate to contact me through DM or any of that. And my email is sparklelindsay2 at gmail.com. Okay, so I'm pretty well known here in the local areas. If you know people that are out of the state as well, please give them that email. And uh, hopefully if I'm a good fit, we can help you start taking your life back too. Absolutely. And we'll make sure, of course, that we have all the credentials and links uh, directly in the show notes for you. Uh, I'm excited to read the book uh, and to have that as part of my library um, we'll definitely have to connect soon so I can have you sign it and yeah. everything. So, Speaking of a book tour, a lot of people here in the, in the uh, local area are like, so we want to buy the book, but then are you going to sign it? And I was like, well, I mean, if you guys want my hand, John Hancock, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so that's something we could talk about, too, um, about figuring out maybe where we want to host maybe a book signing party. I'd be more than happy to help, help you coordinate that. So. Well, also, you guys, I also wanted to say, so I will be, um, you know, I've talked with Patrick um, and I've been doing a lot of things online as far as motivational speaking podcast and so forth. But I am also looking to do some things in person um, on stage and as a motivational keynote speaker. If you're looking for someone like that, please let me know as well. I am more than willing to come out and speak and uh, just going ahead and, and give that engagement and that interaction that we haven't had in the past year. And uh, so being behind this video is great, but it's it's also wonderful to be in person and feel the magic, right? <laughs> yes. So if you guys are hosting those TEDx events, the speaker events, Sparkle Lindsay is available. So what I'm hearing. Yeah, I am. <laughs> <Perfect>. <laughs> Sparkle, again, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. I was just so excited to be able to showcase your story. Thank you for uh, coming on and being a part of our platform. Um, we're very thankful and grateful for your time. Yes, and I truly appreciate you guys giving me the time and holding space for me to be able to tell my story. So it's always fun, and I truly, truly enjoy it. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> Uh, on behalf of Scott, guys, this is Patrick Murray coming with uh, Two Native Sons. Thank you so much, and we'll catch you, Legacy Ninjas, on the next podcast.